0: You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes. Dead Air night here with, always...
1: Typical Lydia.
0: Feel like I've been sitting in front of you for a century now.
1: It feels like it, doesn't it?
0: <laughs> if I could, uh, I don't even have an expression, if we could look beyond the veil for a moment, dear listeners, sometimes when we're doing this show, to make sure that you don't miss our glorious voices week to week, sometimes we double up and we'll record two episodes in one day. What that usually means is... Is Lydia and I have to spend a lot of time together. And what's also interesting about it is we tend to be more efficient when we have to record two episodes as opposed to when we record one.
1: I like that when you count one-two on your hands, you give me the horns. They're <laughs> throwing horns. You're not even counting like one-two, you don't count in the European with the thumb. You throw horns.
0: I I'm s i am I do that all the time. And anytime I'm gesturing to people, like, for example, if I'm working in produce and someone says, how many cases have we got in the back? I go, we got two. Two in the back. And, and, I, and <laughs> I throw them horns throw them. All the time.
1: It's hardcore, Wes. Hardcore counting with Wes Knight.
0: <laughs> two cases of pears. Wugga-jigga-wugga.
1: One, two, fuck you. Yeah. 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 Doubling up. It's my favorite thing on the entire planet. We do tend to be more efficient. And we make more sense. We take notes and use them.
0: we do because if we were sit down and actually watch the two movies in front of each other it would be for it would be a long day a real long day so what we have to do sometimes is watch a movie without each other which actually kind of breaks my heart which also changes when we want to do the episode because we keep bumping into this thing where we say well i really want to watch that with you i don't want to watch it by myself
1: yeah we've got one that we'll be doing remotely and we're not going to tell you no. So it'll be a fun thing. You can figure out which ones we didn't watch together.
0: I know. Yeah, let's never tell them which ones we didn't watch yeah. together.
1: Fuck that. Fuck that. <laughs> um, but I did really want to watch it with Wes. And this, dragged me to hell, would have been a good candidate for us watching remotely because we've both seen it before. There's mm-hmm. a lot of literature on it. There's a lot of critique, a lot of thought. Mm-hmm. And it's been out for long enough that it's simmered in our little tiny brain pans. For this length of time. But I'm glad that we got to sit down. Because you got to see me laugh.
0: Wow did I see you laugh. We are doing the 2009 Sam Raimi directed horror film.
1: Classic. Horror classic. Horror Drag
0: classic. me to hell. It's not a if you yet. were to refer to the Rotten Tomato score. And all the critics praise. You would think that this movie is the peak of horror. At least in the early 2000s, in the aughts.
1: And then it would be a horror fan favorite that you could toss, drag me to hell around in any conversation and everyone would be like, oh yeah, I really like that movie. Mm -hmm. Not at all.
0: Yeah, and I gotta say, as a lot of years have passed since I've seen this last, that rhymed, and when I first saw it, and I think this was a revelation to you, I did not like this movie.
1: I expected it. I just have grown to expect that people don't like this oh, okay when i would first gone to see it in the mayfair i was met with a lot of why are you going to see that and afterward you paid money to see that or i heard it was shit or i saw it and thought it was shit or they people would just rather steal this movie
0: which is a weird thing to say there's two weird things about that rather than stealing a movie to me is insane because pay for your fucking media people mm-hmm. first thing why did you spend your money on that why'd you go to see that as the answer is you're a grown woman with your own money and you can do whatever the fuck you want with it
1: exactly <laughs> i'm going to see a sam raimi horror film his mm-hmm. return to horror return was a horror. precious thing to me as a horror fan and i i would say a sam raimi fan but that's not entirely like the draw it's Sam Raimi returning to horror without Bruce Campbell like it's Mm -hmm. not a formula Sam Raimi it's something Ivan Raimi read and I don't know who the fuck's Ivan Raimi he's like the Shemp of the Raimi brothers like I've never heard of this (laughs) (laughs) guy. I'm so sorry Mr. Raimi but where did you come from (laughs) where the fuck I'm so sorry it's like Sam and Ted (laughs) and who and who (laughs)
0: that's what the song Cotton Eye Joe is actually about
1: (laughs) So that was a draw, having it be um, female focused, strong female lead, if you will. I hate that catchphrase, but there it is, Um, a horror film that isn't about her tits and it's a physical horror and it's going to be a horror comedy to some extent. And I was in the mood for that. And it was nice to see him come off of that high with the trillions of dollars from all the spider-man movies Mm -hmm. and be pouring it back into the genre that gave him his foothold and taught him everything he knew about filmmaking Mm -hmm. no matter how you want to slice it and when everybody else wants to see a big name high rolling astronomical fucking bank account filmmaker come back to their roots Mm -hmm. and empty their diaper and smear it all over the wall everyone else considers it and wants to go see it and is proud of it and will see things in theater that auteur directors have created in their return or for the love of the art or things that the projects that they wanted to do that they don't care if other people like how come people shit on mr Ramy for coming back to horror with drag me to hell i don't know
0: for anybody listening to the show that is a horror fan, and if you're listening to a horror podcast, you're likely a horror fan, unless, of course, you're one of our friends or family that are doing it out of obligation.
1: Or one of those people that just listen to podcasts. <laughs> Where the fuck you are?
0: There are those people, uh, but for horror fans, Sam Raimi needs no introduction. He is responsible, part responsible, but the, definitely the name a top the door, right be- below or right above Bruce Campbell's for the evil dead franchise the evil dead franchise is one of those things for horror fans that is just so beloved i don't i've never heard and there's got to be there's got to be horror fans out there but i've never once heard i don't like evil dead not from a horror fan you now
1: there's people that like evil dead too over evil, evil dead oh for sure, and sure, and stuff sure like that, yeah. for sure but for
0: sure and i definitely have heard people say well you know army of darkness it's a pretty big departure And it is. I'm sure
1: there's people that don't like Evil Dead due to tree rape. Yep. I'm sure there's a school of them. There's got to be. But
0: I've never heard it. And to give you an idea, listeners, Sam Raimi has this reputation of being a big horror auteur. He's right up there in the Masters of Horror as far as a lot of people are concerned. But this is a man who has a very diverse career who hasn't focused on horror. He certainly started in horror, but he kind of went on to, I hate to say bigger and better things, but
1: it's true. to it's most people's true.
0: estimation, he started out in a in a very indie way and all of a sudden he's making billion dollar movies that everyone sees and really is responsible for large in part between him and Brian Singer, to the emergence of the superhero movie. Because those movies made more money than anyone could fucking fathom. And they're like, oh, superheroes, quick, which ones do we own? Make them. Yeah. And that was kind of his trajectory. He left the horror genre. But what happens when you have a lot of success in Hollywood is you find yourself and... There are many writers and directors and actors that have their pick of projects, but when a director gets really prolific, aka he makes people a lot of money, they get carte blanche to kind of make what they want. Now, I'm not saying Sam Rami is in the upper echelon of dudes that do whatever the fuck they want. Like a James Cameron that literally just sits there for a decade and goes, "Mm, that one. Yeah.
1: And sometimes (laughs) takes his diaper off and empties it out on the floor and smears it around. But I guess another example would be is that J.J. Abrams doing a whole bunch of phantasm stuff right now Mm -hmm. where people kind of go, wait, what?
0: Why? Because.
1: That's what he wants to do. That's what
0: he wants to do. And I got to love anyone who gets a little bit of success and then wants to have these little pet passion projects that they want to go back to. So Sam Ramsey with all the power in the world decides to return to horror and he wants to make a horror in a way that they don't make horror like this anymore. This, when I first saw it and thinking about it the whole time, I thought to myself when I, my knee jerk reaction, when I very first saw this movie in 2009, I was a younger man. It was a different time. It was crazy time. I just got a smartphone it's um, pretty crazy. <laughs> I couldn't get over this feeling of how dated the movie appeared to me. I didn't think the CGI was particularly impressive and any other practical effects I just thought looked old to me. And now when I was looking at it, I said, you know what this is? This really is a movie from the 80s put in 2009 with some CGI in it. I still think the CGI looks horrible, but it's 2009. So whatever. But I don't hate it anymore.
1: So hooray. Well, my job here is done. <laughs> That's a wrap. Um, I'm glad to hear that because so many people did criticize this film upon its release. And I'm sure upon revisiting, they might have a, a change of heart as you had But it is heartwarming to know that the critical reception and, like, the Rotten Tomato score that you had mentioned is high.
0: It's very high. It's in the 90s. And let me tell you, critics, they're not even saying, oh, yeah, 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 pretty good. Yeah, it was all right. I liked it. You know, four or five stars. (laughs) The praise for this film is just, uh, this is the best thing ever. This is one of the best horror movies made in Decades, or this is the this is going to be referred to as the horror classic of this time frame. People are going to look back on this and and think, oh my god, this is an amazing movie. As a this has joined the upper echelon of the top tier, very best, critically acclaimed, most awesome, kickass, skeet skeet. Put it in my mouth. I want it right now, daddy. Movies that could possibly ever be made, and watching your face twist into a smile as i was saying that is. All I
1: needed. Well, I like it when you say skeet, skeet, and the put-in-my-mouth daddy was just the cherry on top. <laughs> I do enjoy that quite a bit when you say it. do wonder that at the time were people so jaded, and people are creatures of habit, and they're like, you know, I like Spider-Man movies i don't want anyone else to make spider-man movies i want to chain sam raimi barefoot to the spider-man of him and have him pump out loaf after loaf after loaf <laughs> has he returned to horror and and is it like a reverse sellout kind of move is that what had people so jaded from the get-go
0: in the aughts horror was kind of pushing back on a lot of the self-referential stuff that had kicked it back off in the 19 in the late 1990s And they were going back more to a lot of the grittier stuff that was going on in the 1970s. The the early aughts were Saw. That was hostile. That was Serbian film. These were the horror movies that people were paying attention to and getting a lot of buzz. Sam Raimi comes back with something kind of retro in the 1980s. And that wasn't a remake. it, It wasn't a remake. This was a horror comedy. This was bright. This wasn't... I mean, it ends on a downer, but... Kind of funny. Yeah, I gotta admit. So so I think the aesthetic, I think the comedic elements, I think that was so flying in the face of what was going on in horror at the time. It really is a unique beast. It's not found footage. It's not grim, darkity-dark, gerger, I'm mad. It's not, quote-unquote, fucking forgive me, torture porn. Um, It's not any of that stuff. It's its own thing. It's a it's a possession story. Not a possession story. It's a... Curse a story. A curse story. Not a lot of those with this kind of budget. 30 million bucks to make this movie. This had...
1: Which is conservative considering. Conserv- what he could have thrown at it. Yeah.
0: Considering, considering it's Sam Raimi, considering the guy was making movies for hundreds of millions of dollars, and that's not even including what they probably spent on advertisement. But I mean, this movie would have had a juggernaut director behind it for a horror movie a good big beefy budget for a for a a regular cinematic blockbuster yeah that's craft service uh budget yeah yeah. but for horror 30 million bucks that's that's adequate that's a big budget that's more than a lot of other classic horror movies have ever gotten and then on top of the fact that you have all of these elements Universal pushed this out the fucking door with everything they had. So lots of campaigning, lots of advertisement. So there could have been resentment because it was so big, because it was, quote unquote, so glossy for a horror film at this time. People were looking for movies that almost had an indie credibility to them. Look at the movies that were really popular back then.
1: Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I guess they weren't. Privy to or cared about the fact that the script had kicked around for 10 years. Yeah. And it's really out of time. It would have been out of time 10 years previous. It was out of time when it came out. But then again, this is somebody who's sort of always been on that edge of horror, flying in the face of what's popular, doing whatever the hell they want to do, and sticking in this dark, grimy, super gory horror comedy, which is really hard for anyone to pull off anyway. So it's not going to sit well with everyone immediately.
0: Yeah. But I, but. It's funny to me because certain Sam Rami fans, and what I want to say when I'm saying Sam Rami fans are Evil Dead fans, when some of them that went to see this movie, they did come back and say, oh my god, Sam Rami's back, this is exactly what I wanted. Because they were looking at it from the perspective of somebody who likes this guy's career and And likes the kind of horror movies that he makes. So they liked the fact that it was retro. They liked the fact that it reminded them of horror movies from the 1980s. Because let me tell you, the horror movies of the 1980s had lots of stuff like this in it.
1: Yeah, and I really enjoyed it for those reasons.
0: Exactly. But there's the general horror audience that likes to go to the theater to see horror movies. That was not expecting this. The, I mean, those are people that might not have even seen Evil Dead, or don't really remember Evil Dead, don't really remember the tone of Evil Dead, or people who think that, you know, Evil Dead's good, and I liked it because I was young when I saw it, but I, now I want a different type of horror. They want what's... I, mainstream's the wrong word. I was going to say,
1: like, they're more interested in something like The Conjuring, or they wanted a, a thinner type movie, because that's mm-hmm. the only other curse movie that really comes to mind.
0: I agree. I think that when people think of curse movies... Jeez, I'm trying to think ring the ring but people focus so much more on the fact that samara or sadako is a ghost so it's yes it's a cursed tape but the, it, it's more of a yeah but you're right it is a cursed movie that counts
1: i was just really excited to see a female lead in a sam raimi film and it went exactly to plan super physical the slapstick borderline slapstick if not just straight up slapstick comedy and just super physical. And it was so refreshing to see this nice, fresh, sort of like almost wallflower type girl dragged through that rainy gauntlet, probably with about as much ardor as Bruce Campbell had been strapped to things and shoved through things and had things thrown on them. And oh, wow, she pukes blood through her nose. Gotta love her. <laughs> and it's not all about her tits. This is true. The only thing that I remember, the lead who plays Christine, Alison Lohman, mm-hmm. uh, she was in Beowulf, like a smaller part.
0: Yeah, she was. Other
1: than that, the only other recognizable face in this, the, her boss is a little recognizable, but I even remembered a name of a, an actor from pop culture, Justin Long.
0: <laughs> you did remember Justin Long's name. I
1: gave you a high five for You that. gave
0: me a high five. I've never seen you more excited Justin Long for horror trivia fans of course know him from jeepers creepers if you were if you turned on a television set anywhere in the early aughts you would know that he is mac from the mac and pc commercials that were running unendingly in that decade
1: maybe something that would have turned off some horror fans being like oh it's this guy this like hipster looking mac commercial dude
0: and it's funny because they forget about jeepers creepers i totally forgot yeah yeah not me. I love that movie.
1: And really, he has.
0: He's in it, but I don't find it distracting. It's not like he has this massive, overbearing role in it. It really is all about her. It really is all about what she has to do. And honestly, the work that she has with the old gypsy lady that ends up cursing her. I mean, those are all the highlights of the film, right?
1: And even near the end, when the gypsy lady is really out of the equation for the most part, where you'd expect the knight in shining armor, you would expect him to be there to save her or help her or something. He's not even present. He drops her off to go and fight the big fight at the end. Mm -hmm. And he's just not present for a hell of a lot of it, which is just fine. She holds her own. And doesn't need that sort of support. And he's really only there to just move the plot along.
0: Mm-hmm. To be that support and to have some of these awkward situations that uh, Christine gets herself into. Because of this curse, which a lot of... It's a little sitcommy, but I think it works for the tone that Sam Raimi is trying to create with this. So basically what the story is, is Christine is a loan officer at a bank. And... She is up for a position. It's highly competitive. It's between her and this one fellow named Stu for the assistant manager of the bank branch that she's at. The problem is she's a little too nice, Lydia. A little too soft. Doesn't really make the tough decisions.
1: Yeah, she's a bit of a shrinking violet being choked up by weeds. She's fighting against her southern upbringing in a way to not be so polite and go for the throat. And she's even trying to, like, take allocution lessons to mm-hmm. get rid, to of, rid of her accent yeah
0: and you find out that she was a little overweight as a child and so she's obviously struggled to 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 get in shape and maintain that shape i mean she's a very beautiful woman now so
1: i mean, she's working really hard to compete
0: and even though life on the farm didn't suit her anymore clearly she is wanting to do bigger and better things she still can't fight the fact that She's always going to feel a little bit like a fish out of water because of the fact that she is surrounding herself by people who are just flat out more cutthroat. And it goes against her very nature. And you brought up this point because one of my original problems with this movie was the fact that I didn't think that the curse was justified at all. And I found it frustrating because she acted like it was this big revelation about what she had done. And I kind of shrugged my shoulders and said, well, I don't get it. She made a decision to help her career... But she was backed into a corner, I felt. so. But then when you had pointed out that it's not really about the decisions, it's the fact that it went against her nature. And if she had just gone with her heart, her gut instinct, what she naturally would have wanted to do, then none of this would have happened. Instead of fighting her roots, which is what she's been doing, you could assume, most of her life.
1: Yeah. And all the things that she's done to fight her roots don't harm other people. It actually does better her, and it's not something that's irrevocable. She will always have had her accent, even if she gets rid of her accent now. She will have always been able to cook things like they did on the farm. She will have always remembered and had photos and known where she come from as far as her weight and her looks and things like that. And even before she becomes the assistant manager, she will have always remembered where she came from with something like... Her becoming this shark that she's swimming with by denying the loan that's requested by this old gypsy woman, it's almost like something in her will have irrevocably switched at that point. Mm-hmm. And then she's going to become this cutthroat, vile person forever. Sort it's It's like selling your soul to Satan, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but for... This particular story, I think that that is who she wrongs. She's wronged herself more so than wronging this gypsy woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Now the entrance of this gypsy woman is basically the entrance of the very Sam Raimi, very visually intense character of Sylvia Ganesh, and the the actress playing her is not quite channeling Maria Ospenskaya from The Wolfman. Like, the way you walked it was tarny, throw no out of your own. Not quite that, but close. Very close. And she is having her house foreclosed on herself. Christina has this opportunity to grant her an extension. And Sylvia begs and pleads and prostrates herself before Christina to get her to do this, but...
1: Like quite literally in the bank and mm-hmm. she's Christina's just come from a big speech basically about the reason why you might not be considered for assistant manager is because your competition knows how to crunch the numbers and go for the throat. Which isn't saying that you also need to do that, Christine. It's just saying that this is the example that you're up against. So she gets it in her head that what she needs to do is not care about other people and these not treat these People, like human beings, Mm -hmm. who might be homeless after your decision, you need to crunch the numbers and go for the throat. Mm -hmm. And her boss idly tosses out that, you know, when we foreclose on a house, we really reap on those fees. Mm -hmm. They make a lot of money. Yeah, which is depressing, a depressing reality. And so she, when she does turn her down quite adamantly, the gypsy woman does what gypsy women do best.
0: Is that curse, people?
1: A pox upon you all. A
0: pox upon you all. She does this curse. It's very creepy.
1: She invokes a Lamia, which is sort of... I think the story of the Lamia is tweaked for the purposes of this story, but it's um, a demon that used to be the princess of Libya way back in Greek mythology, but now is a child stealer. And Mm. the word Lamia comes from the greek word for gullet so if you go through this film wondering about all of the in your mouth out the mouth things things going into the mouth while she's sleeping a lot of puking things a lot of like weird inanimate objects suddenly becoming animate and leaping down her throat there's a lot of like throat stuff going mm-hmm. on in this film a lot of like mouth things it's probably something to do with the origin of this particular demon
0: It probably does and that's really interesting stuff i'm glad you know about this sort of thing
1: i'd read some alternate history after being tipped off by listening to the faculty of horror that covered this as well uh, they those had smarty pants they are smarty is i like their smarty pants <laughs> um about some alternate film theory which i never tend to read And sometimes I make up alternate film theories, but I don't publish them or inspire conversation because it's all just crackpot goon talk from Mm -hmm. my part. Um, But there is a theory that this is all a delusion and she just has an eating disorder. And then they go through to pick out all the times that she interacts with food and all the things about the the throat stuff and things going in and out of her mouth and all that stuff, which is just crackpot talk as far as I'm concerned. But tinfoil hat talk it, It's beyond tinfoil hat talk, but it there is a, a reason for a lot of this um, it's not even food intensive, so it's silly, I think, to draw a conclusion that has anything to do with an eating disorder. but it is very mouth and throat oriented, mm-hmm. a lot of the things that happen to her and a lot of things she inflicts on other people. but I think it has a lot more to do with the root of the demon that they chose mm-hmm. for this curse.
0: Well, when she, Sylvia, is putting the curse on Christine for the first time, it's after the bank episode, and they're in a parking garage together, and this is the first time that you really see how physical we're going to be getting with this movie, because these two women, and don't think for a second that just because of the fact that Sylvia is like a 70-year-old woman, that she
1: is going to go quietly. Or that she won't get kicked in the fucking face. Oh my god, so... elderly abuse it
0: is but we are talking about an intense bare knuckle staple to the face brawl between these two women
1: i like the ruler in the throat the
0: ruler in the throat getting double kicked out of a car grabbing a giant brick and smashing the glass i mean my god these women punch and strike barreling a car into another car While this old-ass woman goes flying headfirst, breaks her false teeth and probably a bone in her face against the dashboard, putting the teeth back in. Now she has fangs. (laughs) Because they're all shattered. And, you know, she has a sickness in her eye that's made one eye go milky white. She has horrible, gnarled, yellow, long fingernails. I mean, she's... So scary. She
1: is monster. She is a monster. And then the way that Christine responds to her is equally monstrous by beating the fuck out of an old lady. Mm -hmm. Who the fuck does that? Self-defense? Fair use? Yeah, mostly. All because it all... She had cursed her and she had broken into her car and attacked her. Mm -hmm. Very, very horrible. Mm -hmm. And very, very physical. And very intense and exciting. And kind of funny.
0: It's pretty funny because of the fact that this is an old woman. It makes everything more ridiculous, and the fact that Sam Raimi doesn't shy away from yeah, I'm gonna have her. Okay, she's fighting the car. What can she hit her with? I don't know. She's works in an office. Has some office supplies. A there. whole
1: tray of office supplies, which is just really well. Ridiculous. She st- she
0: steals them after every workday, and she grabs a stapler. Ka-ching, 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 one on the eye. It's just like staples are four- high shot. Yeah. the, the oh the, that's not bad enough. And and of course. Almost like in Mortal Kombat where characters get brutally hurt, but then they don't even really seem that hurt. They just kind of shrug it off and they're fine. This, you know, this woman is getting stapled in the face and cracked in the mouth and kicked out of a car. And she seems to be hurt for the moment it happens, but then she's fine.
1: Yeah, she just jumps back up. (laughs) Round two. It's It's awesome. Yeah. And the timing of this, the cuts in this. and. The tracking and everything is just amazingly look, kinetic.
0: Look, at this point, Sam rammy has a lot of experience with practical effects. He's got a lot of experience with shooting in tight spaces. He's got a lot of experience doing action. Mm-hmm. He's had to do action set pieces on a massive scale at this point two women fighting in the car that is going to look like fucking mint press money
1: it's awesome yeah it is really really ridiculously awesome even to the point of mirroring things like the shattered teeth going flying out the window as the window is breaking and the little shards of glass that are mirroring the teeth in dimension and size go flying along with them it's fucking beautiful and that's like a four second scene
0: and one of many fights that these two women are going to get into, because that almost is the highlight of the movie as far as I'm concerned. It's just round after round of these women fighting with each other.
1: Yeah, not sexy cat fights either. They're no. are not I'm sure there's some pulling of hair. It's pulling of hair right out of the head.
0: Right. And I mean, yeah. huge clumps of it. Sylvia <laughs> rips.
1: To the point where I'm wondering, how much hair does this woman have on her head? She should have like a massive bald spot. <laughs> really. And they should be bloody clumps the amount that she pulls out. But it's not like a quote-unquote fight. They are fucking kicking each other's asses. Mm-hmm. And I like that she gets to fight with this old woman again and again in various states of decay. Mm-hmm. It's very fun. Because...
0: After this encounter, Christine is very shaken,
1: and the actual taking of the button—the
0: taking of the button—this is very important. When she's on the ground and Christine is seemingly helpless, Sylvia does take that button. She says a few words:
1: "You've shamed me."
0: Yeah, she takes. She rips the button off of her cloak or her coat cloak. Fucking... <laughs> too much, <laughs> hammer
1: too much hammer horror for you. Too much
0: hammer horror, Mike Luke. She Sylvia that is breathes on the button
1: that stanky
0: stanky old lady breath yeah. and invokes the name of lamnia and that is what starts this whole thing and christine kind of da- dazes in and out all of a sudden the woman is gone and the police are called her uh, boyfriend uh, shows up and oh you're shaken up but uh everything's okay and let's just get you home and it was pretty scary, but...
1: She's a- gone now. She's gone yeah. now. <laughs>
0: well, for some reason, she can't shake this sinking feeling. And that night, she decides to go and see a psychic that she just happened to be walking past. A little convenient, but like I said in many times before, when movies do things like this, what do you want? The, the movie's got to move forward. Let's I can totally
1: it. see it, though, because she's dealing with something that she knows is... Vaguely occult, something folkloric, something she doesn't understand. She mm-hmm. n- vaguely understands that she's being cursed.
0: She 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 knows a hundred percent something's wrong. Yeah, something is not right.
1: Yeah. Um. So why not turn to the darker forces, if you will? Something a little more occult, a little more folkloric. Fighting fire with fire. Probably just looking
0: for peace of mind more than anything. Sure, I'll give this dude 60 bucks to tell him I'm fine.
1: Where some people it, go to a psychologist and pay twice that.
0: Exactly. I, I just need him to say, <laughs> yeah, you're fine. And and then that'll be the end of it. Well, the gentleman that she meets uh, is one of uh, my favorite characters in this movie. I just really like... I, I, I like going to... Experts, I like that type of thing. The library scene. The library scene, but I also really like the way that this character conducts himself. It's really cool. And he basically says, after taking the $60, because I I like the. Justin Long gives him uh, the the platinum card and he's like, Platinum, very good. (laughs) It was pretty. It's a good line. Um, Once he sees what he sees on her, he offers to refund the money and he can't help her. And goodbye. He thought that perhaps maybe she had desecrated a grave or perhaps was involved in a Ouija board or some sort of ritual that had brought dark forces upon her and then when she says no, that's not what's happened at all, he just suggests, throws out that perhaps you've been cursed. Because it's the only thing that could explain why this demon would be specifically targeting her but he is the one that verbalizes this feeling that she's been having
1: and actually validates her whole reason for going to the psychic in the first place and it sort of makes it even worse because now this is somebody who knows what they're dealing with who believes you and is too afraid to help you and basically sends you packing mm-hmm. so it seems that there's nothing that she can really do but endure these weird sort of Feelings that she's getting, weird, almost hallucinations. She does have a scene where she's alone in the house. And it's what I envision that people go through when they've seen a scary movie and they're suddenly scared and the wind chime seems scary and the windows open at home and they hear a rattling and the cat jumps off the counter and makes them jump and all those things that people go through when they're... Hanging, hanging pots. On edge. Yeah. The wind blows and the hanging pots rattle and terrifying. Terrifying. Although something actually bad is happening to her. Mm -hmm. It's not just a home alone, evening alone when you're on edge after watching a scary movie. And I do like that setup because it's like you can just feel it coming. It's a whisper in the wind that Mm -hmm. reminds you, this is a Sam Raimi movie. Everything's going to go batshit insane any minute. Mm -hmm. And it basically does.
0: It does. There's something to be said about these types of curse movies where it's death by appointment.
1: Where mm, where there's a set amount of time. There's a
0: set amount of time. She has a few days, but she doesn't really know this at this point. She just knows that every moment, every day, these things are getting worse. We- Hallucinations are becoming more intense. And she has a horrific vision of this old woman lying in bed with her a night where a fly crawls along her face, goes in her nose, out her nose, and then eventually goes inside of her mouth and she chokes on it. Then when she wakes up, she sees the old woman in her bed. uh, The old woman just vomits bile and bugs and whatever the hell else. Grave
1: goo and grave dirt. Something that a cadaver would be full of.
0: And and then she wakes up in bed and everything's fine. So she might be hallucinating. But she's got to get to the bottom of this. She tries to go to work and everything seems fine (laughs) with her hot new job. And this is the trend in this movie where... You go to your job and everything's fine and then you start to wig out and have hallucinations and then you get this nosebleed to end all nosebleeds that any anime would be jealous of, the amount of blood pouring out of her nose and mouth. The fact that it's almost like a stuck garden hose when she's trying to... Keep her mouth closed from vomiting
1: blood. Yeah, she's vomiting blood almost like a trickling fire hose. So she covers her mouth and it geysers out of her nose. All over her boss. Which is awesome. And it's nice dark red blood and I love it so much. Like fresh nosebleed blood. There's a particular color to fresh nosebleed blood.
0: And he's freaking out. Did any get in my mouth? Is Mm. it in my mouth? (laughs) <laughs> which would be horrifying. This is one of those um, this horrible situations that you would have. Imagine if I was at work and I just shit my pants.
1: What would happen? <laughs> I was watching Death Chasm last night, and that sort of happened. And I'll always be... In- I'll always be very thankful to Chris for sending me that because every time I watch it, I smile a little smile, especially when the teacher is up front and bloody, mostly blood, but I'm assuming bloody shit, just starts streaming out of the fucking cuffs of his shorts. And at first everyone thinks it's funny, but then they quickly realize it's not. And that's the same sort of thing where everyone thinks she has a nosebleed and it's funny, but then everyone realizes it's not.
0: I think hell has frozen the fuck over. You told a joke.
1: I told a joke. You told a fucking joke. And I laughed through this entire show while we were watching it because I think it's fucking hilarious. Especially scenes like when she decides that, you know, there's something definitely wrong. She's being cursed. She's only being fed tidbits of information by this psychic who does become a fount of information. He is the library scene, Mm -hmm. but only in fits and starts, which I do like. It's not all just expo dumped Mm -hmm. um but she only knows a little bit but she decides that she's going to go and apologize so that she she can can feel better yeah so she goes to sylvia's house at first almost gets turned away by the daughter but then is let in sort of like well if you want to apologize knock yourself out turns out it's her funeral the old lady has passed away
0: do you think it was all those blows to the (laughs) head
1: no i think it was just her time
0: Uh, okay maybe just one more way to screw her over
1: who knows she could have already been dead at the rate that she reappears as a ghost or whatever she could have already been dead
0: it's true I'll go
1: with that she was probably already dead so she was beating up the ghost of an old lady that sort of saves her a little more because she is she's like such a a perfect little sunflower in my mind right Mm -hmm. it is weird that I told a joke isn't it maybe I'm possessed or something (laughs) But even so, this is another thing that made me laugh so very much when she goes and approaches the coffin and it ends up overturning on top of her and she gets green slime puked out like uh, embalming, embalming fluid. fluid yeah, and she gets gummed yet again by this toothless, dead old lady, which is fucking hilarious. This... Sick and morbid, yeah,
0: sure. And then when they pull the body off of her... this this The weird thing uh listeners is she like i told you she has several fights with this woman throughout the movie for the rest of the movie every fight she has with this woman that woman is dead yeah she's constantly tangling with the body like this weird
1: it's like we get at bernie's but way more fun
0: it's like we get at bernie's it's almost like uh passive resistance like she's The Gandhi of horror characters, where, you know, just by trying to move her and she moves away but grabs a clump of your hair again, she pulls out another big clump of her hair and then she's just going to be gross and inconvenient and get on you and you try to push her off and she just kind of limply falls on you and it's just always gross and it's always embarrassing and it's always pulling out hair from her rictus grip.
1: (laughs) yeah i think it's hilarious
0: it's pretty funny it's
1: yet another really funny funeral scene Mm -hmm. and those always make me laugh these have effects um done by greg nicotero who people may recognize from lots of other horror stuff but the walking dead i suppose is most popular thing i really enjoy the different levels of decay that this old lady goes through and i really enjoy the physical the physicality that they can get out of a dead body they did very very well with that and like you said like all the fights that she most of the fights that she has with this lady are with a dead person we've also sort of been introduced to the apparition of the lamia itself Mm -hmm. there is a shadowy goat hooved goat horned creature that mm-hmm. is stalking her, mm-hmm. and as these hallucinations, I guess that she's having, and things that we're not sure are hallucinations, like the fly inside of her that has crawled into her when she's sleeping and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. A lot of these things have been heralded by these hooves getting closer and closer.
0: Mm-hmm. He's a cloven hoof demon. Was,
1: he or she. I, the Lemmy is supposed it, to be a she.
0: Yeah, it's hard to really say. And if and if what you're telling me about the lamia story then it definitely would be a woman and honestly it doesn't really you can't really say because maybe it's an
1: it by now
0: yeah maybe it's an it
1: it's just a lamia
0: but it's cloven hooves and it's got horns you don't really you see you it evokes the shape but you don't really ever see it it's good it's like it's a very old school it's a demon yeah cloven hooves yeah
1: there's a lot of different flavors going on here for horror fans and we're only like say a third of the way into the film at this point but we've got like it's this heinous curse we've got our nice expo dump library person psychic guy Mm -hmm. which is cool we've got um a pretty nefarious looking demon when Mm -hmm. what you've seen of it you're thinking you know this is going to be a very dark occult satan type demon i like this uh it is called drag me to hell that was your first clue. Mm-hmm. And it's also got this incredible physicality in these um, kinetic fights. So it's got a lot of physical horror as well. And a lot of grossy, grossy, yucky, gooey blood geysers. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty much already got every, something for everybody. A really interesting blend.
0: When Christine goes back to her source of information, this psychic, he suggests that You might be able to appease the demon because you can't lift the curse that's what he tells her you can't really do anything about the curse because what's happened is something was taken from you and given back to you and is now your possession and even if in that in this case it's the button off of her jacket if something were to happen to the button for example if she were to burn it up it would be inconsequential it would still technically be your property therefore the curse is still present yeah you could try to give it an animal offering if you want to. But but Christine is an animal lover. She's a vegetarian she or vegan, maybe She even. kind
1: of freaks out. She's yeah. like, and yeah. she volunteers at a puppy pound or whatever. Yeah. So, so. I, so
0: just, she's not a type of person to hurt an animal, kill an animal for any purpose. And he suggests, or he tells, warns her that you be surprised what you're willing to do when the Lemnia is chasing you. Well, this is when she has another really bad episode at home. And this is a really brutal scene because the demon makes himself or herself or itself present and really reaches into her home and enters it and then attacks her. And you don't see it. You just see what it's doing to her. Drags her across the ceiling and then throws her brutally into like an ottoman or something. And, like, completely smashes it. So you know that she hit that with extreme force. But much like Bruce Campbell in Evil Dead, you knock him down, you won't stay down. She gets up eventually, but now she's very, very serious. She <laughs> grabs a butcher knife and kills your itty-bitty kitty.
1: And buries it outside, which doesn't strike me as much of an offering at all. Aren't you it, supposed to, like, offer it up to the sky well, or burn her, it or I some don't shit? He gave her a book on it. I don't that think she sucked. read it. She, it just doesn't strike me as a proper animal sacrifice
0: she, she she looked at the book flipped through some pages and was all
1: made that vegan face
0: there's a lot of words in this book is <laughs> oh, there the
1: west face
0: the, yeah oh is there a cliff notes of this oh i know my favorite thing to do is there a three to five minute youtube video that could kind of give me the gist of this so i don't have to read this book oh good there is Oh, it didn't say what to do with the body afterwards. Well,
1: just bury it, I guess. Tsk, tsk, tsk. I don't think that you're supposed to bury an animal sacrifice to a deity, demon, god, whatever. Um, But hey, whatever. That's her problem.
0: It's true. And she's not good at hiding her problems because she's super shifty-eyed. And she is not good at coming up with excuses at all for anything. And guess what? Right out of a fucking sitcom there's this big dinner planned with her and her boyfriend who's a doctor and who comes from a well-to-do high society family who doesn't approve of the country bumpkin girl this these story elements I get it
1: I get it too but you know I'm until I saw it, I was semi-disappointed that this is where the story was going when I first saw it. Because there was mention of them going to a cottage. And the little tiny evil dead fangirl in me went, yes, now it's on. This is where they need to go. Because then she needs to get locked in the basement. And, you know, like, I unraveled Carve herself
0: a witch.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe she'll get raped right by a tree. That would be awesome but no
0: for yeah
1: they end up at in a at a country home more a country or less. home yeah um but he does very very well with making this gory and macabre and scary and weird
0: it's true i was kind of not feeling the angles when i first saw this movie because of the fact that it seemed so sitcomy to me it was almost all oh, these disasters are coming, and my boss is coming for dinner. Oh, no. It, it kind of had those elements to me. It, just very cliche, very old-fashioned. So I just was like, eh, I don't know if I like this so much. Now, looking back on it, I say to myself, well, you have to have these elements. This whole aesthetic that Sam Raimi has created is to mortify... This girl to have the most embarrassing situations happen at the absolute worst time. Of course, when you're up for your big promotion, you're trying to impress your boss with all this extra work that you're doing, that you're going to flummox at your job. And not only flummox at your job, you're going to puke a geyser of blood all over him. Is that not horrible. And of course, when you're meeting your boyfriend's parents and your boyfriend's very successful, they don't really approve of you because you are not successful. You're a country bumpkin. And this is one of the things that you've been been running away from your entire life. And so when you have an opportunity to meet this guy's parents and have a good impression, it's icy at first. And then you tell a very frank story about the fact that your mother is an alcoholic ever since your father died. And that actually ends up impressing your boyfriend's mom who was your hardest critic and you could see that the ice has been broken and you guys are all talking and you're laughing and they're eating your fucking harvest cake and then you wig completely out because your cake grows an eye and it starts to bleed and then you fucking throw a glass at a wall saying you can hear a
1: demon that no one else can hear <laughs> oh my god yep and you know what all of your trying to sort of fix your upbringing and your roots Would have actually worked out really, really well if you wouldn't have made that one decision that was completely against your nature and have all this shit blow up in your face. Because her accent wasn't a problem, her roots weren't a problem, her prowess at job, even though she hadn't acquired this promotion yet, she was up for a big promotion and that impressed his parents as well. All of the things were falling into place, all the good decisions that she had made to better herself, not to erase who she had been, but just to better herself and build upon that were actually working. And you get to see how that all would have could have went until she hallucinates an eyeball in her cake.
0: Even before even before this scene, we already learned that it's her work on this massive deal that the bank is going to go through that impresses her boss the most. Yes, she handled this situation with Sylvia in her boss's estimation properly, but I guarantee you that if she had only followed her gut, and gave Sylvia an extension like she wanted, even if her boss didn't approve of that decision, he would not have been able to deny the work that she did on this massive account that was actually more important to the bank.
1: Yeah, it wouldn't have overshadowed all the hard work she'd done, and it still probably would have come out in the wash that her competition or co-worker was probably not the best pick for the job either
0: exactly because all of this really happens because she does every time she does the right thing she's rewarded for it but it's too late at this point because she's already cursed so we so we know up at this point because by the time when things couldn't be going worse she blows it with her boyfriend's parents and then she goes into work because she goes to the psychic and she needs help can you help me? Luckily, there is one woman that this guy knows that has encountered this demon before, many years ago. There's a catch.
1: What's the catch?
0: Ten grand, please.
1: Meh, whatever. Pocket change. When it comes to psychics, you know, hard work costs money. They don't, like, just do this for anybody. Not only that, they're but... They're putting their life on the line, man.
0: They're putting their life on the line. This has been proven to be an extremely hostile and dangerous demon. One that has the ability to absolutely kill... The people that it possesses or the people that it encounters. So within that, $10,000 seems like a lot of money. She goes back to the work to want an advance on her new salary. But, oh shit, things have gone in the toilet once more.
1: Yeah, it turns out that a rival bank has picked up this large account somehow. We did see Stu walk out with that big folder. Hmm. I didn't really put two and two together. They're in a bank, there's papers and folders everywhere. And like, you saw her car, it's a goddamn mess. There's papers and folders everywhere. Except we
0: literally saw his character pick up the folder, shifty (laughs) eye left, shifty eye right, and go, Out the door for me, Stu.
1: Luckily, there's a lot of those sorts of explanations. And the shifty eyes really help, too. Even the 15-second pauses with shifty eyes. And,
0: well, we had a cat. We had a cat. I don't know. Cats come and go. Whatever. What do you care?
1: Cats come and go. That's my favorite line. Because that's something that 15-year-old Lydia would have said without making it you know, making like without realizing that it would sound weird to other people. <laughs> cats. When you live on a farm. She grew up on a farm. I totally get where she's coming from. Cats do tend to come and go. I'm sorry. <laughs> but
0: this we see that this woman is in, has indeed encountered this woman before because at the beginning of the movie, we're given a little vignette. The nice uh, technique that this movie has that I didn't appreciate when I first saw it, but I appreciate it now is they're letting you know in no uncertain terms what the end of this curse looks like they let you know right up from the get go now movies like the ring do this too they let you know at the very start of the movies what fate is in store for the person that is cursed by this particular thing
1: so you're going to root for your hero or heroine however you pronounce that word heroine Heroine? like heroine i mean no but yes I don't like this word. Let's just use hero to mean both boys and girls. Okay, that's fine. Thank you very much. That's fine with me. That's one thing that helps you root for your hero to basically do anything and tackle any obstacle to Mm -hmm. avoid this. Even though you know they don't know exactly what the end game is. But
0: we do. And if we didn't know exactly what this curse looks like at the end, we would be rooting for it to happen because we the curiosity... Yeah. Would be too much. I want to see what happens to a person who fails to appease this demon. And that's what they need to do.
1: Now, instead, the table of turn, we want to see what it takes to avoid that.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Because they couldn't do it the first time.
1: Ten grand is what it takes. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's not totally unheard of. I mean, there is a huge expose that has hit the news in Toronto the past month or so. And it's uh, Ryerson University Journalism and Toronto Star and W5. Some really hard hitters in investigative journalism, actually. And the Toronto Star, a great dissemination tool of media, let alone an Oxlum journalism cohort to have, especially for students. They've been blowing the lid off the Fraudulent psychic activities going on in Toronto Mm -hmm. and how much money people are bilked out of is kind of staggering. Like, you might have heard on TV or read in the National Enquirer when that was a thing about people being bilked out of like tens of thousands of dollars by psychics, but to the tune of people like losing their houses losing their entire careers, losing all of their savings, hundreds of thousands of dollars. They quote in the article that I read that uh, a successful quote unquote psychic or a successful fraud artist, if you will, can make up to $500,000 a year, basically selling people enchanted bath salts for $1,000 a pop and stuff like that. It's kind of fucked up and it's kind of still fucking happening. And it's kind of still fucking happening in our large metropolitan north american cities which is just fucking weird to me i have no problem going to a psychic for funsies for 60 bucks 70 bucks whatever because it's fun and it's interesting not something to do regularly but it's fun and interesting and not someone to run to when you need help like the way christine needs fucking help because this thing is going to drag her to hell that's We know that that's the end game. She knows that this is dire. She knows that it kills people at the very least. And she's scared shitless and it's ruining her life already. But it's actually true that people will maybe not be in the same circumstance that our friend Christine is in, you know, battling cadavers and all that fun stuff that I love so much and geysers of blood out the nose. I don't think many of these people that are being suckered out of all their money are actually going through these really fucked up things. I think they're probably just, you know their wife yells at them too much. So they think they're cursed or something. They think they are under psychic attack. The last guy they dated was a psychic vampire.
0: Or they would want to talk to a loved one who's passed away. Oh, yeah. They would, you know, if someone says, oh, we have a, I have a session, I can call them, and
1: they have so much to tell you. Um, These and... are people that don't know the difference between a medium and a psychic, too. So, yeah, yeah. poor them. Getting bilked out of tens of thousands, if not more. Mm-hmm that's so so sad to me so when this psychic wants 10 grand to actually help her with someone who knows what they're doing and has been through this before and has actually lost somebody to this same particular demon i buy it yeah no, i didn't say i didn't buy it I just, no i know i just <laughs> went on a total rant because it's totally been in the news and it's very fucking interesting to me
0: oh no it's really really cool i'm glad you uh, talked about it christine's not going to get that Loan from the bank because she doesn't have the job that she thought she did because of the fact that Stu is a sneaky sneakerton. This does give her an opportunity for her to pawn all of her belongings, and I mean everything. She pulls her electronics, she pulls her jewelry, she pulls. She goes into the garage. She takes tools. She takes bits. She like anything, anything that could be worth anything. She gathers it all together. This is where she's encountered uh, Sylvia again. This time, the the spirit, the hallucination version of her who very grotesquely shoves her arm into Christine's throat. And in the most Sam Raimi... Uh, Sam Rami has a definite hand in this movie. You can see Sam Raimi's shots in all of these. But the most Sam Rami thing ever is this scene.
1: Maybe it's people trying to impress him and be like, Hey, man, check it out. Fist down the throat. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, man? Pretty He's good. like thumbs up. Thumbs up.
0: <laughs> when Christine is struggling against Sylvia, the the super powered ghost version of her, she's not a cadaver this time. She is trying to fight back, and her eyes go to a rope, a pulley. The pulley's connected to uh, anvil for an anvil hanging from a shed. Why not? It's like fucking loony. It's waiting in the door. Sure. Yeah. Um. And so. She brings her. She's she's holding an ice skate. She raises it up. And again, these shots. It's so deliberate. Like it's 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 invoking Evil Dead specifically. Um, much like in Spider-Man Two, that hospital scene with Doctor Octopus. That is Sam Raimi saying, "Remember when I made Evil Dead?"
1: Yeah. This totally. this
0: scene is the exact same thing. It's quick cut here, here, here. It may as well just be Ash going tool shed yeah you know it's that scene and then her taking the skate cutting the rope and then like she's wally coyote (laughs) fucking getting an anvil on her head her eyes and face just bug out and then all this cgi gore goes on top of christine's face and then she gone that's the scene and But poor old Christine's not going to get a lot of money for all of her trouble. 3,800 bucks.
1: This is what I picture those poor people in larger cities that are being bilked as we speak by fraudulent psychic activity. And I'm like ranting about this now. Um, that's what I envision them doing pouring all their belongings into a hawk shop who's going to reverse bilk them or whatever and not give them what everything is worth. So, of course, she wasn't going to walk out of there with $10,000. No matter how precious or expensive she thinks her things are.
0: Mm -hmm. And then we see her sitting sadly with her fat stacks of paper cash, eating her ice cream. She is a sad eater, and she goes for the ice cream. You're right. With your fringe theory that you were uh, putting online for everyone and claiming it wasn't yours.
1: That is not the truth at all. That is garbage talk. Oh, Oh, my God. Sorry, 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 sorry. One of the few times that she eats anything. And I know all kinds of people who do or claim to eat things like raw cookie dough or ice cream when they're sad. I've personally never, I don't, like, I, I don't turn to fucking frozen sweets for happiness or whatever it is that people are doing when they do that so i don't really i never really understood that particular the ice the whole bucket of ice cream thing is just absolutely piggish to me so i don't understand i would
0: step on the neck of the first lydia i saw just to get some ice cream right now
1: Hmm. weird that i'm sitting right here yet i haven't a foot on my neck to speak of (laughs) it's also true i have no ice cream be that as it may this place is the worst so she's eating ice cream, though, to convey sadness. In film, it's a it's a device. It's a metaphor. Mm-hmm. Something that the plebes would readily understand that she's upset. If all the mad stacks of cash is that how you put it? Fat stacks fat of fat paper stacks cash. Fat stacks of paper cash. If that had confused them, because that would make me happy. <laughs> You know what I mean? So I'm looking at this without being able to, you you know, normally properly discern human emotion, and I'm like, she must be happy. She's eating like a pig out of a trough, like people love to fucking do, and she has a whole bunch of money in front of her, and in walks an iMac. I don't know. I think that's a happy scene. (laughs) But I've been trained that people making a pig of themselves out of a fucking container of ice cream is a sad thing.
0: One of these days, Lydia, you are going to call people sheeple on the show, and I will never let you cut it out.
1: <laughs> Haven't I?
0: I don't think you've ever said sheeple. Slugs. Please is the closest you've ever gotten to calling people sheeple. Or the unwashed... You know what? I take that back. You've definitely said unwashed masses on the show. <laughs> the social other listeners. She's not talking about any of you.
1: I'm trying to think of who I would apologize to if I wanted to, but I can't, so I won't. So she's sad.
0: Well, guess what? Justin Long's going to swoop in and save the day. He's paid his $10,000, which would have been the first person I would have went through because you have a rich boyfriend with a rich family. Give me ten grand, please, for this crazy thing I'm doing. He doesn't necessarily believe her, but he loves her. And he believes that she believes what's happening. And if $10,000 is what it's going to take to give her, to help her in any way, shape, or form, he would definitely do that. So that's how she's going to pay for this whole thing.
1: Which is awesome in a way that she didn't go running to him either.
0: No, he came to her. And, and he came to her. It's already done. It's It's not, because then I feel like there should be. I don't feel like she would want him to do that. There would be a conversation. You're wasting my time. He's already done it.
1: He's like, look, I see what you're going through. I don't understand it, but I believe you. And, yeah, it's taken care of.
0: It's, it's taken care of. This is it a, also
1: helps move the plot along. <laughs> it
0: does move the plot along because, then again, they could have just gone to the expert and not cost $10,000, but I think $10,000 needs to be more obstacles for her. It just needs to be shit piling on top of shit for this woman right now so i can totally understand the need to do that so we're got to this scene which i think is probably the big premiere scene of the movie it's not my favorite scene of the whole film but it's definitely the biggest scene it's got a lot of special effects going on what
1: is your favorite scene of the whole film
0: uh my favorite scene is the scene in the graveyard
1: oh i really like it i i totally agree with you there um Outside of, like, yeah, the big climax, Mm -hmm. that that graveyard scene is quite beautiful. But I'm really partial to that nose geyser.
0: I mean, that's certainly funny. Yeah. But I can tell you what scene mortifies me, the dinner scene, because I hate awkward shit. And I hate people embarrassing themselves in front of other people. I hate it. That's how come I don't really like that street comedy where people... I'm funny. I'm going to bother someone on the street and get them to react to me. I, I actually... Cringe at the idea of having to watch shit like that, like Borat and crap. Where I just I don't know. Stop bothering people.
1: And I don't like being in a room where people are are thinking that's entertaining. And I will change a channel if I can and stuff like yeah, because I find it super insulting and just like it just it makes me it
0: makes me really uncomfortable. So scenes like this, the, the nosebleed scene, it happens in a way where it doesn't really get to me, but the fact that there's so much riding on that dinner scene with her parents and the fact that I just, in my head, I'm just like, get your shit together. Get your shit together. You know what's happening. This is all happening in your head. Just don't freak out. Stop freaking out. You're making an ass of yourself.
1: Yeah. Stop it.
0: Excuse yourself from the table. Excuse yourself God from damn the table. It. Do anything. Imagine that this exact same thing was happening, except you really had to fart. <laughs> so just, uh, excuse me, <laughs> ladies' room.
1: Was it the uh, funeral where I was laughing my head off like a hyena? Was that the part that got yeah, me? Yeah, a little you bit? Were, okay. yeah,
0: you were... Yeah. Again, you're at, a, you're at a someone's funeral. You come into their house. Everyone's excited and happy, and you break... The table that the body's on and it flips over on top of you.
1: It pukes, it pukes like and embalming, embalming fluid all over your over face. You. That's so oh funny. God. Okay, yeah, that was where I was laughing so hard.
0: You were you were off your rocker.
1: Yeah, <laughs> For me, yeah, it was great. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it isn't, it is sort of an anticlimactic climax, but then in a way we've seen this before. We've seen like seances and stuff like that. We've seen the beginning of this film where it shows what could Happen if everything goes wrong, mm-hmm. it is a super physical scene, uh, not unlike every other altercation with this demon.
0: Mm-hmm. Basically, what needs to happen is Christine meets this woman who has encountered this demon before and failed to save this little boy, Juan.
1: Her son was it her son? Yeah,
0: well, she wants to try this time again, and they're going to need to hold a seance in order to do it. Now, they're going to bring in A live goat the idea behind this is we are going to summon the demon force it to take possession of this goat and then we're going to kill the goat if we cannot simply appease the demon you 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 can't demand that it not eat your soul you can't beg and you can't plead because it kind of turns its crank yeah you have to make it seem like it either doesn't want the soul or you have to put the demon into a physical form and then kill that form so that seems to be their master plan and it goes to shit lickety split because the the seance is held the medium is possessed uh it's a great performance piece i like the effects on the voice uh it's great to actually be able to have a conversation with this demon it presents itself in a way that i like demons to be presented themselves the same thing that i liked about insidious i like that portrayal of that demon very much i like this portrayal of this demon it's less 70s album cover it's more whimsical high energy super arrogant because what the fuck it's ancient it's got you by the balls yeah
1: they have a personality they're not going to talk like a manuscript yeah they're they. this demon has a personality
0: yeah it's got a personality and it, it it's just great like i said it, like you basically they're are they're in this impossible situation the situation is this demon has her soul and really has no reason to not take it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So trying to convince it to not take the soul is kind of ridiculous. But people who know anything about demons could know that, fuck it, you might just get lucky. And on in the same whim that it took for it to be like, yeah, I really want your soul. It can maybe have a same whim where it's like, eh, all right, all right. Not bloody likely with this fella because he's not fucking having it. Now they finally get the soul into a goat or the demon into a goat but they can't manage to kill it because the goat's too quick it's it's literally an animal tied to a fucking table and they that dude fucks up so bad and he ends up touching the goat and if you touch somebody that's possessed by this demon that it forces the demon into that new body yeah like in
1: fallen it's hilarious
0: yeah so they're they're fucked now it's inside this guy and he's flying around and the flying effects are very old school. It's it's a dude on wires. And it's yeah. very obviously a dude on wires. And he's kind of dancing and he's kicking over shit and making a little fire. And he's saying to Christine that, I don't want your stupid cat. And he vomits the dead cat out of his mouth and spits it down on top of her. And she's horrified. But the medium manages to rise up and then banish the demon from the seance. Good for her. Christine's under the impression that, that's they, it. that they've won. But the strain of this has unfortunately taken the psychic's life. And she collapses on the floor and she dies. But that's it, right?
1: Right? Oh, come on. You're dealing with an actual demon here. You're not dealing with it.
0: You're not dealing with the further.
1: <laughs> You're not dealing with the further. Yeah. <laughs> Where everything's all wrapped up nice and neat with a little tiny yellow bow. And this is an ancient demon mm-hmm. with provenance
0: intelligent powerful and you can't get rid of him by banishing him from a seance that's not how it works
1: yeah he just vomited your dead cat offering up on you yeah yeah that isn't absolutely not how it
0: works. this demon demonstrates a lot of really impressive powers i like well,
1: that her psychic friend
0: mm-hmm. who
1: she met in the city knows a lot more than the psychic and ha- seems to have a lot more knowledge than the person who had battled it before 50 years ago.
0: Mm -hmm. He's definitely a very scholarly person. Mm -hmm. So he's probably, he probably is pouring over tomes on a daily basis about all kinds of things in the occult. Fucking lucky that in a city that probably has a bunch of people that are psychics, they actually luck out and find a dude that's a legitimate psychic, Mm -hmm. a very knowledgeable psychic and a psychic that has connections to other places and people who are involved in this type of thing. But in this case, it doesn't help. He informs her that, I don't know what you think you saw, but nothing's changed. We've banished the demon from the seance. The seance went horribly wrong. Horribly wrong. And now one of my friends is dead. and There's really only one thing you can do. And it seems that you can not get rid of the curse, but you could pass the curse.
1: by s- leaving the VHS tape in a video store for other people to watch.
0: First you have to make a copy of it, and then you have to make somebody watch the copy. Then
1: they have seven days. That's how long it takes you to die of starvation in a well. Mm-hmm. The end.
0: Close. Because the fact that this curse is actually this button that was taken off of her sweater, and the, the button is in her possession and is still technically her belonging because it was offered back to her by Sylvia,
1: and like he would said at the beginning, there's really nothing you can do. You can burn it, whatever. It's still yours. It's still yours. I'm glad he'd left this one little tidbit out that if you bequeath it to someone else, then it's their problem.
0: It would have been into a completely different movie. But yeah. his, I feel, I. she rightfully asks, why didn't you tell me this before? Why did you tell me that there was no way to get rid of this? And he said, because... If you were to do this, you're damning someone else's soul to hell. And I would be an accessory to that. This is a good dude. And mm-hmm. maybe he even thinks that she's a good person, but he understands the desperate situation that she's in. And if that was given to her at the start, and, and they hadn't exhausted everything else, she probably would have taken it. It's definitely an easy way out. Try to find someone to, to just take it. Just, this is yours. This is yours now. And then all of your problems will go away.
1: A lot of psychics do have this sort of unspoken moral code. Um, it's sort of like there's different moral codes amongst tattooers that maybe they wouldn't tattoo someone's face for their first tattoo. That's one that's been popularized lately. Uh used to be that they wouldn't work upon other person's work except to cover it up entirely, but they wouldn't add to malign or otherwise alter someone else's work, which has has changed definitely. Um, but psychics and that has changed too used to not take money for what they did Uh, psychics used to not read the fortunes of people who weren't of like marrying age or whatever or below the age of 19 or so because they didn't want to warp or change or affect someone's life like that and it's not unheard of for somebody to walk in with a dire curse or someone who has done something terribly wrong and have a psychic turn them away Mm. and be not unable to help them, but be unwilling to help them because they don't want to you know, align themselves with a darker nature or if it's something that they just aren't equipped to combat or if it's something that could change the course of someone's life, like a younger person being told that they're going to die if they ever get in a car hmm. and stupid crap like that. So I can really see where he's coming from. From like a traditional psychic standpoint, my grandmother was um, a psychic. She did take money for her readings at a certain point and red palms and tea leaves and cards, right? But she still adhered to things like his edict that he wouldn't want to be responsible for passing a curse on to somebody else. So it doesn't matter how much neon lights you have on your in your window, if you really believe in what you're doing and have firm morals you would have acted exactly like this guy
0: so now we have christine in a situation much like the situation with the bank she has a choice to make one is not favorable and she'll absolutely lose if she chooses to do nothing but if she chooses to pass this curse onto somebody else damning somebody else's life she'll save herself so she's sitting in a diner unable to really decide she's looking around and it seems that nothing's around but Happy couples.
1: And even we suck because there was this one elderly gentleman on uh, oxygen in the corner alone. And we were like, that guy, that guy. Which is kind of what she was thinking and kind of what we were urged to do with this script. Until his wife comes. This
0: kindly like, oh. elderly couple that just love each other so much. And he just lights up when he sees her. So
1: we can see why she's having trouble sitting there in the diner trying to figure out who to send to help, basically.
0: It's not even... It's crazy to think that, okay, if I am being cursed to hell, that means that there's got to be... If there's a hell, the 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 then does that mean that there's a heaven? So if I'm cursing someone to die and they were a good person, they'll go to heaven. Mm-mm, doesn't matter. You're absolutely cursing someone to internal damnation. It's almost... The idea... It's like there's no heaven anyway. It's yeah, just hell. It's, it's just, just it's, hell. Is that what it is? So I don't
1: know. I've got a long list, Christine. You can give me that button and I'll just... Pass it
0: on. I think that the best test of her true nature was the fact that she invites Stu over. (laughs) And she knows, she has an idea that it was him. But she's kind of just like barking threats into the phone. You got nine minutes. And here comes Stu, who's been smarmy and confident and arrogant and super snarky to her this whole movie. Now he comes a bitter broken man. In tears,
1: with his tail between his legs, very much. Like,
0: so. what are you doing? What are you doing? Don't and,
1: tell my dad. Don't tell
0: my dad. And he's just like breaking down, crying. And she says that she's going to give him something, and it's his property, and he owns it. And and this person who's absolutely wronged her, been a dick to her this entire film, and then screwed her, screwed her bank, and then and personally screwed her out of her job. For his own game
1: you can have sort of a moral dilemma and i'm sure that some christian folk out there do with it doesn't matter what he's done he shouldn't be condemned to hell and you don't have the right to condemn someone to hell and bloody bloody blah, blah blah but we mostly agree that he's a pretty good choice
0: he would be the he's the obvious choice and in a lot of ways the only choice but she tells him to get the fuck out instead
1: yeah get she out. has a change of heart because Luckily, I guess she's learned a little bit of a lesson that she needs to somehow adhere to her internal compass of what's good and bad and right and wrong.
0: So she asks, she goes back to the psychic, because she gets a thought, can I give this curse to someone who is already dead? A.K.A., can I give this button back to Sylvia?
1: Which is brilliant. And when you really think about it, like, she didn't really do anything really wrong. Yes, I argue that she wronged herself in amongst all of this dilemma, the morals of all of this. But Sylvia was going to die soon, mm-hmm. for one. And she did have a daughter that she could go and live with. She mm-hmm. didn't want to burden her, but that's a pretty traditional desire to not want to burden your family in your, in your golden years when you have no money. Um, but she did have choices, and... She'd already been granted extensions on that loan. Mm -hmm. This is sort of in the height of the credit crisis in the United States, so it wasn't unusual for people to be foreclosed upon Mm -hmm. at this point because they'd overextended. You know, it wouldn't have really been Christine's fault.
0: I still don't view it as Christine's fault, and I would come down in this movie hard if you hadn't have pointed out the going against her nature thing, which I was like, okay, I understand that aspect. You're right. But if it was just, oh no, she did this very super minor thing where Sylvia was absolutely in the wrong.
1: I had pointed out that in thinner that I had thought that it wasn't, you know, pound for pound fair to, Mm -hmm. for him to be cursed with becoming thinner for what he had done. And you were like, he fucking killed the guy. He was drunk and getting a blowy as you put it.
0: Drunk and getting a blowy ran over the guy's daughter and then, because of his connections with a judge and with a doctor, got off scot-free for oh. the crime.
1: So it does sound pretty bad when you actually explain it out. So I was just like, <laughs> I don't know, he's, he's distracted and killed someone by accident. Mm-hmm. But it is way, far more worse. Not, I don't think really that fair. But this is pretty unfair. She was basically kind of doing her job. So yeah. Sylvia was being heavy-handed
0: heavy-handed she had she had in her desperation she had humiliated herself and then become her own humiliation became anger at the person that she perceived to be the direct reason why that had happened and so she was going to curse her and so she did the psychic after some reading has never really heard of this being done before but because of the culture that Sylvia comes from, because of how they treat their dead, and how they do not believe that a soul is ever really gone.
1: Mm -hmm. And they venerate and honor their dead, and it is a form of ancestor worship.
0: Yep. So he says that in this case, yes, it will work.
1: I'm sure the first person who added dead people to the voters list had the same brilliant light bulb over their head.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So we get what comes my favorite scene in this entire movie. Christine is now determined that she is going to... He's like, "You're going to give it to her." He's like, "I'm going to shove it down her throat,"
1: and more instances of gullets. More gullets, yeah, yeah. More throats and gullets. I love, and I love this scene. We had spoke earlier about our one of our favorite scenes, and this is really definitely it.
0: Because it's not enough. You had pointed out the fact that you know she probably could have just left it on the grave, and that would have yeah. Counted. That's what graves are for. That's what graves are for. But in this case, she felt the need that she was going to dig up sylvie's body it's pouring rain it's sam rammy so it's movie rain times 100
1: with so much lightning you don't need lights we've got lightning
0: we've got lightning to light everything uh sylvie's got a really traditional big old cross like i love that type of thing you know like gra- gravestones nowadays are so dull it's like and... a greek
1: orthodox cross it's oh, yeah. really beautiful it's actually, really, really yeah. beautiful
0: and she gets to the coffin, just like, open a coffin lid. I'm going to smash this coffin lid and then open it. So there's a big gaping hole. You see Sylvie's body. And by the way, this entire time, this grave is filling up like a swimming pool with water. Just on top of the fact that it's raining, it seems all roads <laughs> lead to this fucking graveyard. It's like the graveyard itself is at the bottom of a slope. And all rainwater from everywhere on Earth is collecting. That's good
1: because when all the zombies rise up, they'll just sort of tumble into a pit because they can't run uphill very well. From what I've been told, and people that are afraid of graveyards on hills for this specific reason, because the zombies can get momentum and run down the hill.
0: I thought a zombie was more like a grizzly bear. Like, it'll just fall down the hill and you can get away from it easier.
1: No, mm, good thinking. Good thinking. <laughs> I know i like this graveyard in a pit thing which this seems to be having there's a lot of water there's pouring a in for lot sure. of water pulling in. this and... is the angriest that she's been throughout all this film she has been a shrinking violet wallflower type person uh very quiet always reserved even during her fight scenes almost apologetic mm. trying to get it's... away
0: from her get yeah. away from her more than anything just get off me and push her away
1: exactly and usually while dressed and while cupped her hair is usually um you know brushed and shiny and, and looking decent and she's usually wearing decent clothes here total opposite for once her hair is drenched and stuck to her head and she's not gonna give a fuck what it looks like she has dirt all over her face she's wearing a black shirt she's never worn black that i recall it's usually like pastel colors yellows blues really pretty bright mm-hmm. sunshiny colors mm-hmm. and in this dark night dreary graveyard desecrating cadaverous scene she's dressed all in black and pissed off and completely
0: caked in mud yeah Yeah. clutching
1: this envelope and digging out a corpse and Mm -hmm. screaming at it
0: screaming at it and then trying to put it in her hand of course this body is (laughs) not having it it manages (laughs) it manages to get hold of her hair and and push around and pull out more of her hair and she has a line that's the last of my hair you're ever fucking taking she jams the shovel in this woman's mouth, pries the mouth open, and then just jams the envelope with the button in it down this woman's mouth and then kicks the jaw closed.
1: Awesome. And
0: then there's. She's
1: so tough and badass she, in the scene. She's
0: very tough and badass. There's a wonderful shot of her looking down, uh, triumphant, determined, angry, but. Like yeah, that's right. With the the lighting behind her with the cross, with the rain coming down, you can clearly see it's in a graveyard. It looks like the page out of a comic book or it looks like I like it's one of the shots from this movie where I would think, "Oh, I wish I had that shot. Oh, I wish I would fucking frame that shot." Yeah, yeah, if totally I could. Agreed. She looks amazing. The background looks amazing, and it cuts back to the old woman just sort of sinking below the water as more water rises because guess what kids this fucking grave is filling up with water even faster now and so now she needs to get out of it and i guess what happens to soil gets a little malleable and when she tries to crawl out of the grave she sinks back in and now it's really filling up with water she's
1: like really scrambling at the edge of the grave and i feel kind of badly for yeah. her because she's kind of short and yeah the well grave's if, if, deep. if this is
0: a six foot uh dig yeah then she, she's, she's in like five, five two something she, like that. yeah and she's in like five feet of water yeah and sylvie's body floats up again and just sort of like dangles on her and she's trying to get away and then in one of the most cartoony things that ever happens one of the gravestones falls over and hits her in the head and even has like a loud twing clang on her head and then she just kind of closes her eyes and just... a lot
1: of the noise in this film is very very cartoony and i could see that throwing some people off and maybe that's something that people didn't like and something traditionally that i don't like because i'm not a huge horror comedy fan especially not when they're really pushing the comedy like that but it is hilarious and even in the darkest scene and the most dire scene and the coolest like most revenge revenge is finally being served Mm -hmm. here Scene. It's hilarious and cute that she gets tonked in the head with mm-hmm. the gravestone. And I, you almost think that that's the end of her because she sings under the water. Sings under the water. They, they pan away. And then she finally
0: pulls herself up. Reborn. Perhaps uncursed. Because everything seems to be like it's going to be okay. She's fu- She she shoved
1: they, that fucking button down that bitch's throat.
0: And then we have a nice transition. She's filthy. She's dirt encrusted. Now, all of a sudden, the water goes away. She's in a shower. She's nice and clean, and she's getting ready to meet her boyfriend at a train station because they're going away on a fabulous journey together. And by the way, she got a call from her boss. Seems that old crafty Stu tried to go to his house and pin the whole thing on her. But after her boss noticed some inconsistencies, he broke down crying and then confessed the whole thing. So guess what? On Monday, she's got that job.
1: She's gonna make it after all. Dun, dun. Whatever. She bought a new jacket too, which I think is pretty cool. Had her eye on this nice uh, powder blue blazer. Mm-hmm. Three quarter she, length. She's back. Coat. She's
0: back to the pastels?
1: Yes. Thank God. And can get rid of that shabby old coat that happens to be missing a button. Mm-hmm. And. I think her boyfriend's going to propose to her, which is...
0: Yeah, Justin Long's got his little ring there, and it's going to be good. We're good.
1: Yeah, that's what they're doing on this little vacation that they're taking, which is pretty nice. I guess this is where they're going to the cottage, right? The cottage we never got to see.
0: That's true. Well, you know what? She doesn't get to see it either. Oh. Why?
1: Where did we fuck up, Wes?
0: Well, in another scene that would be just like a fucking sitcom or an episode of Get Smart or something, where two people drop identical briefcases and one picks up this one and one picks up that one well there when justin long and christine i'm sure his character has a name but i don't care uh,
1: his character name is clay clayton short for clayton
0: you know what i like justin long better
1: sure i'll call him i okay.
0: <laughs> when he's driving uh, with her in the car they almost run over a homeless person not a homeless person he was just an old guy <laughs> and he
1: damned them to hell but damned
0: him to hell well at the beginning of the movie. She gave Justin, who's got a dorky coin collection, a coin, a, a rare coin that you don't see too often. He put it in an envelope, and he had it on him. She has an envelope with a button in it. They look identical. They're both not marked. I don't know why you would put something in an unmarked envelope, seal it, and then not say, "This is that coin I wanted." Why don't I just put it in my pocket? That's where coins go. Anyways, this so when they, they did, yeah they did, when they did
1: slam on the brakes, everything went flying in their fucking mess of a car. Because remember, they have staplers in there. Yeah. Well,
0: you know what. Lydia, that accident caused the old switcheroo. Mm -hmm. So somewhere out there, there's a body floating in an open grave that has a coin in its mouth. But in her possession is still that button. And she has just enough time to be completely shocked and afraid. She backs up, falls on the train tracks. Justin Long freaks the fuck out because his lady has fallen on train tracks. There's an oncoming train. Before she can get out of the way of this oncoming train, she is dragged to hell.
1: Really? Who'd have thought? With a title like Drag Me to Hell, I really, really thought she'd be able to evade capture.
0: You know, when I first saw this movie, and I didn't like it at first, the one thing that I walked away from this movie saying, You know what? I liked blank. I liked the fact that the movie is called Drag Me to Hell, and she is drugged to hell.
1: I think that was one of the complaints. Like, I walked out with one of the same, like, I had a lot more love for this film when I first saw it than you did. But that was also one of the things that I liked. I was like, yes, it didn't lie. I love that. Mm -hmm. It's accurate advertising. But there was a lot of people that were like, well, duh. Of course she gets dragged to hell. Oh, let me guess. She gets dragged to hell. And it's like, yeah. (laughs) And they don't understand my excitement. I think, what, they expected a big twist? I guarantee
0: you, I guarantee you that if Sam Raimi did not have the powers that he has in Hollywood at this time, that would have been a studio note, for sure. Oh, your your heroine or your hero went on this journey, and at the end of it, uh, she died.
1: No, I think what we should do there is maybe have her kick one of the demons in the head and jump out of the way, or better yet, have her fiancé... Grab her by the hand and save her, and maybe they can hug and a kiss, and then the sun can come up behind them, and everyone around on the platform could start cheering. That would be, that would be much better.
0: So like, I can't really pinpoint the accent that you're affecting for this character, but I dig it. Um, it would be something like that, or you would have her beat the curse as like. Well, instead of having this coin switcheroo moment, why don't you have her face the demon in a tank top?
1: Can one of her legs turn into a machine gun?
0: Ooh, I like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, probably something like
0: that. A happier ending is what we're getting at. But like we were saying in the early aughts for horror, it was a lot of downbeat ending. It was a lot of sad endings. It was a lot of downers. So maybe what was so shocking to people was the fact that this really is a lighthearted horror movie that has a downer ending.
1: Kind of. I don't know. When she got dragged to hell, I kind of said something along the lines of, that's what you get.
0: I still don't think she deserved to go to hell. Much like in the same way that she didn't think Stu deserves to go to hell, she doesn't think that elderly man breathing with, through an apparatus deserves to go to hell. It's the same way that I, I think that she did not deserve to go to hell for no, what no, she no, did.
1: No, no, What I mean is that that's what you get for starring in a film entitled Drag Me to Hell.
0: Yeah, and also a real person wasn't actually killed, ladies and gentlemen. It was an actress who went on to do many other things. So it's not that much of a downer ending but in terms of the narrative it's a shame and Justin log just looking on longingly oh, 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 That's my joke. That's a good one. Thank you. Just uh, to the woman he was about to propose and to the world She got hit by a train. Where's the body? I don't know.
1: Yeah, he was the only one privy to that. And I kind of like that. It adds an extra one-two punch to that downer ending. That the love of her life was the only person to see how she actually had to check out.
0: And it's a really nice touch for them to just hard cut off of his face, Drag Me to Hell, the title of the movie. Yeah. I thought that was a really strong ending.
1: Yeah, me too. Me too. And I can see how other people would just not respond to that favorably. But I'm really glad that the horror community whatever that is has come around i suppose or critics even if they're not horror fans whoever you people are out there that like this movie thank you thank you for not dooming us to things like the alternate ending of dissent
0: i don't think i've seen that
1: the one where she gets out
0: was that on the dvd or something
1: yeah there's an american ending and an aussie ending
0: so the aussie ending is where the that's that's it
1: yeah, where she just sort of like has a vision of her daughter and she's trapped going stark raving mad underground, but she escapes in the American ending. Hmm. Learn something new every day, kids. We'll have to watch it. I have I have it. And I have the like the one with the two endings, so I, we can I can show you that and you can have a laugh. And see, in action you know, maybe there's somewhere out there an alternate ending for Drag Me to Hell where she, you know, boot fucks a demon and hugs her boyfriend or whatever. No, I And then got her it. legs turn into a machine an gun. Angel angel
0: flo- floats down. Oh my God, yes. And grabs her hand. Not this time, Christine. You've learned your lesson.
1: I think so. Oh my God, you nailed it. <laughs> you nailed it.
0: What do we got next for him?
1: What do we have next? Pieces. Oh. Yeah, one of my... Favorites. I've already, like, gone on about how it's my favorite, and it is, like, living under my pillow. Um, we'll be watching Pieces, and then after that, Suicide Club. Ah. Which sounds like a real darling gem. I've never seen it.
0: You've never seen Suicide Club? No. You are in for a treat.
1: I've been meaning to see it because it's been on the list for a super long time. It's actually been on the list for, like, a year and a half. And really? in all that time, yeah. And all that time, I was like, oh yeah, I mean to see that. And it's actually not only on our list, it's on my other list. Uh, the list of stuff that I really do need to fucking see. And I just haven't gotten around to it.
0: And guess what? You're going to get around to it. Yeah. Thanks to your old J-horror loving Wes.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty excited. I'd high-five you, but that's like sex before marriage.
0: And on that note, I'm Wes Knight.
1: And I'm Typical Lydia.
0: And you've been listening to Dead Air.